There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains stories that include homophobia, sometimes within a family setting, and homophobic and transphobic language. This is Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. We are a group of people living in London. We're gay or queer, and we're mostly men. And some non-binary people who were raised as men. We're all either migrants to the UK and are racialized as being from an ethnic minority. Ill. That's just a crappier way of saying global majority. We all have different experiences and perspectives on the world. Some of us are racialized as black or brown. Some as white. Many of us have experienced racism and xenophobia. Some, some of, of us, us are, are gay, gay and, and some, some queer. queer. Some of us moved to the UK by ourselves. And some are from an ancestral line that includes migrants. We, we all, every single one of us, knows what it's like to be seen as other. That is what brings us together. We're part of a community project run by The Love Tank. A not-for-profit community interest company that promotes health and well-being of underserved communities through education, capacity building and research. We wanted to make this podcast to tell our stories of crossing borders. Borders of nation-states, of gender and sexuality. As a collective. We don't have a boss or a Beyonce, so... Every episode of Queer Roots and Roots has a different host and a different set of voices from our group. Our promise to you is that our podcast is gorgeous, fierce, super gay and revolutionary. I'm Assad. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Muslim. Six foot two, huge. I speak English, Urdu, and Punjabi. I'm a cis man. <laughs> This sounds like a mismatch bio. But all in all, I'm pretty fucking hard to miss. So what's the narrative? Probably that I work hard. I like rugby. Not the sport per se, but the players. Mm. And I'm extremely heterosexual. I'm as straight as one of those bendy rulers you get in secondary school. Yeah, that's a bit of me. I'm hosting this episode and I've decided that my theme is flipping the narrative. One thing about me is I am super quirky and random. I'm so random. Sometimes I have long acrylic nails uh, and that's because they make me feel so dainty and petite. In my head, I'm like a five foot two white girl prancing around London with her Starbucks caramel macchiato. But in reality, I'm a six foot Asian version of Hagrid who's stumping around like a runway Balenciaga model. Someone recently reminded me of what I looked like when I was a teenager. 
When I was in my mid-teens, I used to wear a poncho all the time. Uh, everything was black, gray, or cream. Colors, I didn't know her. It didn't exist for me. I was always a bad bitch. I just didn't know it because I was brought up in a bubble confined to East London. So I grew up with four sisters, my mum and dad. A house full of really strong women. I was always around South Asian women's attire. I used to love wearing it. Um, I'd find my mum's bras and get like nectarines out of the fruit bowl. And those would be my tits. My family always egged me on, and you know what? It was giving. I was fabulous. Still am. But I guess when I was about 12 or 13, the vibe just instantly changed. And when I was doing me, dancing around, I'd hear, oh, he's enjoying it all a bit too much. And then not long after that, it was, you can't be doing this anymore. Boys don't dance like that. I'd always be hearing, ab ladke ho, ladke ye nahi karte. Ab ladki nahi ho, you're not a girl, so stop it. The only words I knew that came close to describing who I was, they were really derogatory. They weren't even right. They didn't actually describe me. I knew I was different, feminine, let's say that. But all the words in my mother tongue, in Urdu, were derogatory. Words like kusra, which Lucy translates to tranny, or I was called a batty boy or a batty man. I didn't get faggot at home. I got it on the streets when I was going to college at 17, wearing my poncho, again, looking fierce as fuck. The world was giving me one narrative, and I was giving it another without realising it. For my episode of Queer Roots and Roots, I've picked some stories from other people who have flipped their narratives too. It starts with Amr. I'm Amr. Uh, I'm 28. Uh, my pronouns are... Well, I'm on the he, him, today, them pipeline, yet another victim of the transdemic. And a fun fact about me is when I was at university, I co-directed an a cappella Bollywood choir that performed at the Novello Theatre. I want to know how Amr has done it, how they flipped the narrative that was given to them, learned the language that boxes us in and turned it all upside down. Tell me, Amr. I want to talk about my faith in relation to my queerness, mainly because I think it's something that I still haven't quite figured out. When I was growing up, I was always in and out of the Gurdwara, the Sikh temple. I had Punjabi classes there. I ate there with my family several times a week. Um, I would spend hours after school meditating, learning to read and write, well, mainly to read the scripture as it was projected on projectors uh, in the new, very modern, beautiful Gurdwara um, in the countryside where I grew up. As I got older and I started to experience very confused, prepubescent desire, um, my faith was obviously where I turned to for some kind of clarity and some kind of sustenance. In many ways, this was beautiful and sustaining. But as I got older, it very quickly became the very typical and cliched trope of trying to pray the gay away. In Sikhi, in scripture, it doesn't say anything explicit about queerness or about homosexuality, which is the terminology we were using maybe, maybe 15 years ago. And yet I knew culturally, intuitively, I knew that this was somehow wrong. I knew that these desires I was feeling must be a test. I remember growing up, 
maybe being 14 and being told by a young charismatic preacher that if you have a friend who thinks they might be homosexual, treat them with compassion, tell them to pray and get married and it will be fine. I think that as a moment sticks out to me because even age 14, I thought that doesn't sound especially smart to me. Too many variables. I was also a student of Gurmat Sangeet, which means music from the mouth of the guru. Um, I was part of a group that learned traditional instruments that were on the verge of extinction about 20 years ago. I played the Dilruba and we sang hymns to the classical Hindustani rag structure. One day while practicing, I was thinking about the meaning of one of the hymns. And in this hymn, the poet was taking on the persona of a bride who was adorning herself for her nuptial night. And this was a metaphor for his love for and devotion to the Guru and to God, to Waheguru. I think that was the first time that I realized that the scripture that I revered was actually poetry. This was a metaphor. I knew that the poet wasn't actually physically a bride. And there was something feminizing going on there. Once I unlocked that, I started to question a lot of the ways in which I'd been taught to understand my faith uh, and my relationship to God. It wasn't until a few years later, though, that this would develop into a, an imperfect queer misreading of scripture. I was maybe 17 or 18 um, when I was listening to another hymn um, by the great Kavali master, um, Nasrat Fatih Ali Khan. I remembered listening to him on cassette tapes when we still lived in Hounslow with my parents. But I'd never really listened to the meaning of the hymn before. First Allah created the world and from that all of humanity. From one light all of creation has sprung so who can say who is good and who is bad. And the next line of the hymn use a metaphor of a potter. The potter has fashioned the vessel into various forms. There was nothing wrong with the clay. There was nothing wrong with the potter. That was the first time that I built on that initial understanding of, of the character in scripture potentially being feminized to think about the fact that if the potter is fashioning the vessel in diverse ways, if Wahiguru has made me like this, who am I to question that creation? Maybe actually the blemish that I was seeing was not my queerness, was not this desire. Maybe the real blemish was the idea that I had any right to critique it, to see it as flawed, to see it as wrong. And from that, I slowly began to realize who was anyone else within that community to tell me that it was wrong either. I still struggle with negotiating my faith. I go back to Gurdwara less often than I used to. I'm in six spaces less than I used to be. And this isn't just about queerness. It's about other decisions that I've made and ways that I live my life are quite evidently not consistent with scripture. But one thing that I've clung to is that I have a right imperfectly to participate in these spaces. My faith is a negotiation, as it is for the many heterosexual sects who are also not perfect. One thing that I realized quite soon after getting heavily involved in the queer scene in London is that maybe it wasn't a binary choice 
between the white hedonism of Dalston Superstore and the backward, staid cultural trappings of Sikhi and of my Punjabi culture, that binary was constructed by whiteness. And slowly, I've been trying to find space within my community, within my faith and within my scripture that means that I don't have to let go of everything that makes me who I am in order to fit into a queerness filtered through the paradigm of whiteness. I don't have to let go of who I am. This resonates with me hard because I'm Pakistani, I'm Muslim, I go to the mosque, I fast, I pray, and then I'm gay as fuck. There was a time in my life when I experienced the same as Amr, a binary choice between parts of who I am. I remember a teacher mentioning something about LGBTQ stuff in school, just words, and somebody complained to the school. It scared me. I was just confused. It was a war of words, words about who we are. More words now. I chose a story from Shing because he talks about buttholes and bussies. We love buttholes and bussies. I'm Shing, I'm 31, and my pronouns are he, him. A fact about myself, so I love amazing spicy food, and I'm an amazing uh, spicy food cooker as well, so I cook almost every day. Uh, my hometown food is very spicy, so that's what I love to eat. He's small, tiny, he has no body hair, just like me, and unlike me, he migrated to the UK. So his experiences are pretty different especially with language. Uh, I moved to the UK uh, in 2014. Uh, so uh, I speak uh, both Mandarin and uh, English. Uh, the beauty of language, I think, is really from uh, what people, uh, how people are using language and what people uh, are speaking certain languages. So for me, uh, I realized that my own language was very beautiful uh, when I first uh, came to the UK because uh, uh, when I was in, back in China, I spoke Chinese every day and then I didn't really appreciate my own language. After I moved here to the UK, because I don't have the chance to speak Mandarin Chinese anymore, and I'm forced to speak English almost to everyone in my daily life. So this makes me really miss my own language, miss, miss my own people. Uh, and it makes me feel that I really should have appreciated my own language a little bit more. So uh, that's when I started to realize uh, my own language is actually very beautiful. It is also very beautiful because uh, uh, Chinese or Mandarin, uh, we have a lot of, of expressions and words, phrases that you don't, we don't really, we can't really translate them into English very easily. And we have a lot of ways to describe certain things uh, using very uh, visualized ways. So for example, uh, when we are talking about something uh, that's probably a little bit inappropriate to say in the public, or sometimes we just want don't want to say something in a very explicit way. So we would uh, use uh, different expressions or uh, words to replace them. One very interesting thing about uh, butthole or bussy. So in China, when you ask someone, oh, what would you call a butthole? Then most people would tell you that uh, a butthole is a uh, hua. So that means a uh, chrysanthemum. 
So you can say that when we are、uh, describing a bajo as a flower, we treat it as as something very beautiful.、Uh, we we think it's very delicate, and、uh, we think it's something that we really should look after as well. And this also、uh, leads me to think about、uh, the relationship between、uh, the two languages, between English and、uh, Chinese. So English has been the、uh, dominant language all over the world, and it has been influencing、uh, different cultures and、uh, different languages. So Chinese、uh, is no exception、uh, as well. In in the English culture, there has been a very dominant queer culture as well, and、uh, this English queer culture has been influencing、uh, the Chinese queer culture as well.、Uh, so we have a lot of a lot of words, phrase phrases, expressions borrowed from English. So, for example, nowadays, if you ask someone if they are homosexual, if they are gay, then they would just tell you that they are gay、uh, using the exact English word. Rather than using any、uh, Chinese phrases or terms, but、uh, we actually have a Chinese indigenous term. So、uh, in the eighties or seventies, people created this term to refer to、uh, homosexuals or queer people in general.、Uh, we used the tongzhi, so it translates as a comrade. So you can say that the the term、uh, we used to、uh, to refer to homosexuals or queer people. Was actually a very socialist one, and we have this unique struggle. We have this unique history,、uh, which are embedded in this identity term. So when we use it, we were trying to say something that's very、uh, liberal, that's very revolutionary. It's a very strong political、uh, word that we actually use. But unfortunately,、uh, because of the dominant English culture. More and more people are using those English identity terms, so we don't get to say those words as、uh, many as before now. Especially amongst the young generation, we don't really use those、uh, indigenous terms anymore. Personally, I think that's really a shame that we don't get to use those terms、uh, so often as before. Personally, I feel we should encourage people to say. Uh, more those our、uh, indigenous identity terms,、uh, so that's why often I think myself as a tongzhi, so a comrade, rather than、uh, sometimes people would say、uh, a, a gay person, a gay man, or a queer person. Another example about how English has influenced the、uh, the Chinese gender and the queer culture is something that I was really really surprised by it. So, uh, uh, in ancient China and also you know like in modern probably a little bit earlier in modern China, we didn't really have a uh female uh third person pronoun. So we never had. Uh, she, her before in in our language, but then it was probably around one hundred years ago when uh when English was uh you know like so dominant and then uh some scholars had to translate English literature into Chinese and then they realized that they had to invent the、uh, female third person pronouns to be able to translate the English she, her. So then they created the. Uh, those words, those characters, and then they brought these、uh, 
gender binary system, which was embedded in English language to Chinese language as well. So that was really something I was really surprised, and then、uh, I can't believe that how English had、uh, influenced Chinese、uh, gender culture in that way. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's so interesting how the language we use influences how we think about gender. The words I knew growing up were always derogatory. Tranny, kusra, even the phrase "that's so gay," which I still hear a lot today. These things are always bad. What does that tell us about who we are if we're queer? I've had to unlearn a lot. Three years ago, my cousin blackmailed me to come out, so I told my mum and sister I was gay, and then they burst out crying. It was like somebody had told them I died, but now looking on, I guess that image they had of me was dying. This set me on a journey out of that house. I really did burst that fucking bubble, and I started doing what I'd already been trying to do, in that fucking poncho, making my own story. I slowly distanced myself from toxic parts of my family, and I met more and more people from the LGBTQ plus community. These conversations were uncomfortable because I didn't have the range, I didn't have the language. I remember meeting people whose pronouns are they them, like Amrz. It's a challenge. I had to try and remember to use their correct pronouns, to see them not as a man or a woman, not as a binary option, but to see them for who they are as non-binary. Just like for me, being gay and being Muslim, they're not binaries. These parts of my identity can coexist. Like, I just don't want to get involved. I just want to do me GC style. Do you know what I mean? I just want to be me. I want to hear from two more people now. It's great to see you again. Okay.、Uh, yeah, yeah, it's great to see you too. <laughs> This is why I hate people. You see, because <laughs> sorry, because last time I saw you, we were you know at the same panel、uh, talking about language and you know the politics of sexual language. So it's it's great to be in your company again. I'm Piero. My pronouns are he, him.、Uh, I'm forty-seven. And a fun fact about me is that people think I'm an extrovert, but I hate people. <laughs> I'm Sam, short for Samuel.、Um, only my mom calls me Samuel, especially when I'm in trouble. But Sam,、uh, my pronouns are he/him. I am freshly 29 last Monday, and、uh, fun fact: I think the blanket is the most amazing thing. To ever exist in the world because it's it's just like a hug, you know. Like the first time I touched one, my I was in heaven basically. But when I'm at home, it's it's I have a blanket around somewhere, and when I'm outside, it's a hoodie. Pierre and Sam have a lot to say about language. 
like the ways it can be freeing and constraining. Kind of similar to things that Shing and Amr said, to be honest. I want to hear more about Piero and Sam's experiences with all of this. Have you been? I've been well, thank you. How have you been? Yeah, not too bad. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here today yeah. and to have been invited, you know, to talk about language again and the way that it affects us specifically as, you know, queer men. Yeah, yeah. And the different ways that we can uh, sort of uh, build our own lives around language or languages as, you know, in our case, I mean, I'm Italian, you are from Ghana, right? Yeah, yeah I am. So I am. we both come from different backgrounds and, you know, we, we speak different languages, but we have built ourselves and, and and adapted to a new context the mm. uk yeah, in this case yeah, yeah. and so we have english in common as yeah. a as a lingua franca but also as a you know kind of like a way to communicate with other people and uh, do you find that this makes you behave differently or you know does this create a different persona when you relate to other men in particular or other people in general I could say yes, um, for the most part, because growing up in Ghana, we learned English in school. Um, we did have our local dialects. So I speak Tree, um, which is one of the local dialects in Ghana, um, or Kan, as some most people would know it. Um, but we also learned English. When you're in school, you're a student. When you're home, you're a son or brother. It's something similar. So I think it's, it's the same being in the UK, except this is not school. This is just life going on and in terms of relating to other men yes I, I will say I'm quite different as compared to relating to men back home not just language also the cultural difference mm. as well um yeah. but yeah English being the most dominant of languages or one of the most dominant languages yeah you find yourself just learning new things that don't directly translate across to your other language or your home mother tongue yeah. yeah yeah i think you said something really interesting when you were talking about the way that we are different to different things to different people but mm. different people to different people yeah. and so you're something to your family and you speak to your family in a in a particular way yeah. and to your friends you speak in a different way mm. and to the people here maybe in the uk you speak in a different way and that made me think about you know how we construct also gender around situations yeah. we yeah. adapt you know, we, you know, we are uh, at work, for example, mm -hmm. the way that our work colleagues know us is different from how our friends, mm -hmm. you know, know mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And so this constant shifting personalities, question mark, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. identity, question mark, it, it, it's, it's really tough, I think, especially then when you have to also at times police your own queerness mm. if you're not comfortable with it or anyway get on with it mm. if you're very comfortable with it so um, I, I think there's an added layer of complexity mm. for for mm. queer people to to try and find an identity which is not just who you are yeah but also yeah. how people perceive you mm. how mm. you are seen as you know in the way you speak for yeah. example now people can't see me but i'm gesticulating because you know <laughs> the italian in me is coming out <laughs> but it's also quite interesting i think um because especially meeting other queer men from mm. other countries and then especially in the bedroom or in yeah. sexual encounters, you just find yourself 
learning new things. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most, my most memorable ones was um, my first time cooking up with a Spanish man and um, he just kept calling me cariño. And um, I remember someone saying that that man was in love with me because of how endearing that term is. But it stayed with me, you know, it was quite interesting. Yeah. That's was, true. I mean, getting also the, the nuances of what a, you know, an endearing term can mean in another language. Mm. And maybe you think, oh, they're going to marry me. <laughs> when it's just something to sort of keep you, you know, sweet. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and um, I think we talked about this last time when we met but um, you know the way that we also have sex mm. uh, changes when y you have sex in a, in a different country and you've lived in that country for a long time mm. Mm. and the the way that you express yourself sexually your your sexual really you know personality yeah and I, and I speak from experience when I have sex with maybe other Italians and it makes a difference whether these Italians have lived here for a long time here mm -hmm. in the UK yeah or whether they've come from the mother country. Yeah. And so they are, quote, unquote, proper Italians. Italians yeah. uh, but we could have another conversation about this, you know, what it means. Because I don't really, I mean, I feel Italian, but I haven't lived here for 20 years. I think I'm just a citizen of the world. So, you okay. know, whoever will bond me can can have me, you know, whichever country <laughs> in, in, in a way. But, you know, I don't feel particularly rooted in any specific place mm. and i think that's the beauty of being a migrant because mm. you, you learn how to adapt yes. and you learn how to find yourself in mm. a new environment in mm. a new in a new country yeah uh but yeah the, the 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 sexual barrier is something that is always there it's like when you travel and you and you you know mm. have sex with someone you don't speak the language and yeah. uh but you communicate via your body yeah. uh you know via other other means yeah. uh, you know the language of love so to speak exactly yeah. uh, have you spoken the language of love <laughs> um the language of love yes i do speak it fluently <laughs> um but touching on your I'm point i'm surprised <laughs> uh, touching on your point on um the barriers to language um i think it just brings up how dominant the english language mm. is and how we use it in most of our encounters or hookups or dealings with other queer men because mm. um i went to ghana last year and um tried well and then try i hooked up with a few local people and it's not like i don't speak the language i do speak the language and i'm quite verbal when having sex but i just found myself lacking in the sense of like i just stuck to like moaning and stuff like that so it wasn't not that sex wasn't enjoyable it's just you couldn't find those words mm. in the local dialects to express what you want to express yeah. um and you don't want to come across as fake or sound like you know having a good time so when i went home i thought about how in my case colonization played a huge factor in how certain languages lost their progress mm. because English became the dominant language after colonization and things just kicked off from there. So you wonder if it didn't happen, would we have words in our local dialects to like express, say, horny, kinky, yeah. and like fetish and yeah. stuff like that. And you realize you just find yourself borrowing words from English, yeah. you know. Um, taking from other cultures other languages has always mm. been around you know the, the contamination cultural contamination and, and and linguistic contamination is something that has been there since the beginning you know of time mm. uh you know think about latin and greek you know how they've sort of 
taken from from uh, each other. And and now you know with the dominance of English as a on on the geopolitical let's say sphere, uh, it's interesting to see how also the language of sex is being dominated by the English language. Mm-hmm. I work as a translator, and um, uh, what I see is that sometimes finding equivalents for certain expressions or sexual practices can be difficult mm. because we've imported them, especially in, in, in Italian, a language that is so open to foreign influx, uh, let's put right, it this way, right, so used right. to borrowing from from English, from you know, French even. Mm. Uh, and so uh, out of sheer maybe laziness or just, you know, maybe other, other factors. Uh, and so it's interesting to see how certain practices are being spoken about but maybe without really understanding what they're about Mm -hmm. or without making them more native in a way Mm -hmm. although then we need to also talk about why is there a need to make something native when you can borrow that Mm -hmm. from somewhere else because it's it's a different uh, concept it's a different practice yeah Uh, Yeah. but this poses i think interesting questions about the balance or the the relationship between languages, mm, you know, mm. the dominant languages and minority languages or mm. less dominant languages, which mm. opens up, you know, uh, a kind of worms in terms of globalization, the globalization of sex yeah. and the globalization of sexual, you know, sexual politics. I think that's quite interesting because um, if you take words like top and bottom, mm. It, it doesn't quite translate well in my language, for mm. instance. So sometimes we just stick to like active or passive or, yeah, it's, or you just borrow the word top or bottom, you know, like it's just. And are those weird. words filtered through the heterosexual experience? To a or, certain you know, degree. the reproductive experience, yeah. sexually reproductive rather than sex for pleasure exactly because mm. like when uh, a top which should i say is seen more as more masculine mm. as the the man forgive me for this word and the bottom is seen as the woman in quotes you know so it's it's again it doesn't quite translate when i went back home to ghana it's like because it was it, illegal as as mm. it just stands now and so i was scared to like even try and do anything it was um at the airport when i realized someone messaged me on grinder and i were like oh shit like my i realized oh wow my grind is still on and um it had my picture there and that was for the first few days it was okay um but then i think uh one of the guys i hooked up was like in as much as it's okay to see your face and everything it's a bit safer if mm. your face wasn't there um, because it's still illegal as it is, and also for the sake of like people setting you up or getting into trouble, just you know. When um, you say it's illegal, do you go to jail or is there I don't know death penalty? Sorry, I'm not sure. So I know about what I learned was um, there is a possibility of being arrested, but okay. it doesn't really go anywhere. It's more right. about the disgrace and the shame it right. brings to your family because right. it's more about community over of that. Course. And then children are called by their father's name. So, like, that's Mr. A's son. That's Mrs. B's daughter. You know, it's like that shame it brings onto the family. Facebook is still very much a very popular thing there. So, like, posts go online. People see you and, like, and it's just following you and your family. And, yeah. Um, I saw also some videos of people who tried to, like, hook up and then, when and it's just a setup and they just got beaten up and wow. yeah 
it's quite frustrating. But also, I realized there's also a thriving community there where um, you just get to know people. Like, once you're in, they realize you're one of them. Teach you how to meet people, teach you where to meet people, how to address, like, certain scenarios, which places to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we realized, like, we're making all of these up as we go. So, again, we were told we're being created since wrong and stuff like that. And then as we've grown, we've come into our own and we're like, okay, this is who we are. We're not going to kill ourselves for it. We're not going to burn us. We're just going to be. Yeah, again, the language is used around there is just mostly borrowed. Is there a word for gay? It There is a word for gay, but it's more of a demeaning term. Mm. Like, like trimmedy for. This means like someone who likes... <laughs> It doesn't even translate well in English. A sodomite. A sodomite. Yes, yes, yes. That, I would say that. That's the closest it will bring it to. Like, like they just focus it on the act. Yeah. Yeah. Like he likes fucking the butt. Mm. Like that's what it translates yeah, yeah. to. You know. What about lesbians? They don't talk about that actually. There you go. Yeah. Something, a word like daddy, for instance, yeah. I would say in tree, um, we don't have like the nuance of it. Like we don't have a direct word for that. But again, daddy is a word in English that has been repurposed okay. to mean something else in the bedroom. So um, we have a word like eja, which in direct translation means father. <laughs> but sometimes some people use it in the bedroom as daddy as well. Well, that makes sense because yeah. I think in, in most languages, you know, apart from the English, we, we're all repurposing, you know, the word for yeah. father in, in, in the bedroom. Uh, <laughs> in Italy, I think it's the same, although, you know, we do say daddy, okay. but uh, we have our own sort of papi that you can use, which oh, is right. similar to, I guess, Spanish. Oh, uh, wow. Although I think daddy has a kind of an aura, about you know, the, yeah. about, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you're a daddy, you know. <laughs> come here and, and obviously would say with an Italian accent daddy you know okay okay but uh, I was thinking also of the evolution of the word gay mm. in Italian which is now used more you know more commonly to to, to, to refer to obviously uh, gay people right. but because we also have dialects and and so local regional terms to to describe you know um, uh, gay people and, and and lesbians as well uh, you now hear either, you know, the very medical homosexual, okay. so homosexual, medical. Which, which sounds always like, okay, welcome to, I don't know, 1834 or whenever, you know, uh, it was introduced. <laughs> and, um, uh, or, you know, gay, or sometimes, you know, when, uh, and this is especially from the, you know, alt-right or the, you know, um, right wing, mm. uh, the word frocho or frochi, which is a very particular word translatable as faggot basically oh, wow. okay. uh, which is very offensive mm. still mm. Uh, hasn't uh, although you know the I, I guess the community is trying to um reclaim, reclaim that yeah, yeah in the yeah. same way that the word queer has been reclaimed in exactly. um, in english yeah. uh, but when it's used by one of your enemies it you know yes, it doesn't work no, obviously yeah, and so again you know, we could talk about who, who suppose who can use words can work, yeah. to talk about yeah, us. Yeah. Also, technology is changing the way we are speaking because you know algorithms are yeah. 
sort of not taking over, but they have a very a key role now in everything that we do. Yeah, so. And so because the censorship linked yeah. to the use of certain words in an offensive way rather than in a, you know, joking or whatever mm. uh, then uh, you know you can't spell sex on social media you have to se spell it sex yes, with, with two G's yes yeah so that's the beauty of being human because you can always you know fuck algorithms excuse my French <laughs> Oh, the algorithms. You'd think that technology would make everything easier, but algorithms, tech, whatever it is, it can't really touch the experience of having a body. People are still so shy about that. And having sex. There is so much shame and stigma. In my work, I offer free sexual health screenings to everybody. And people don't like to say that they're gay or bisexual or lesbian or whatever initially people really do shame themselves for having sex before marriage and I see that a lot within ethnic minority groups whoever they are I say to them hey everybody's having sex you're here you're sat on this chair to get tested and you've made the best decision for yourself today we're flipping the narrative it's all about empowerment whatever background whatever language Amr, Shing, Piero, Sam me, man, woman non-binary babe, alien superstar, whoever. The words are ours for the choosing and for the using. Our stories are our stories to tell. I'm Asad Abdullah Zafar, and thank you for listening to my episode of Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. Now more than ever, trans people are being vilified and stripped of their identities. One organisation I'd like to highlight is Trans Actual UK, who work to address and highlight issues affecting trans people whilst raising trans voices. You can find more information on the work Trans Actual UK do on transactual.org.uk. Trans lives matter, black trans lives matter, and it's important to amplify trans voices now more than ever. Queer Roots and Roots is produced for the Love Tank by Ontnell. Produced, edited, and engineered by Tash Walker and Adam Smith. Assistant producers, Saqib Afzal, Jose Carlos Mejia, Amar Deep Singh Dillon, Chase Edwards, Stanley Ianu, and Rad Konichna. Music by Edoi. Creative design and artwork by Richard Kahoji. Recorded at Pirate Studios in Dalston and Hackney Week is London. Executive producers Mark Thompson and Day Taylor Gentles. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.